and welcome back to the Moral Minority Show. It's your boy Joel Sam, joined with co-host Josh Luckett. And today we have Marcus Lloyd on the podcast. Um, Marcus is Director of External Focus at Wood Creek Church in Richardson, Texas. Uh, Josh will introduce him a little more specifically, but today we're talking about what it's like to be a minority in a majority space. So specifically for a lot of people and specifically in the context of this season, which is called Black Lives Matter, that's uh, typically black people in white spaces. But we'll also discuss some other nuances that can occur there. Um, So yeah, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce Marcus and uh, kick things off? Yeah, special episode. Uh, Marcus has been like a a mentor and a big brother to me over the last um, yeah, literally calendar year now, a little bit over actually. Um, and so, yeah, Marcus is uh, uh, jumped into my life to to help me uh, uh, process or navigate um, being a minority in a majority space. Um, he's got a really dope nonprofit that he started um and is the executive director of right that is correct nice and um it is called threaded um it is a uh a a beautiful um small group bible study that guides people towards racial reconciliation i'm sure marcus will talk more about that um he's not blue check verified but uh (laughs) but he has a lot of blue check verified people on his podcast uh colored commentary uh, he has a lot of fun and uh well-known people in the evangelical and even progressive uh christian spaces that he gets to that he gets to, he and his co-hosts get to talk with um like uh joel said he's he's one of he's the outreach pastor at uh, wood creek which i finally got that down as long as we've known each other, I always slip up on like, ah, is it Wood Creek? Is it Willow Creek? Is it Window Creek? I just never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is a uh, married man, beautiful family, two kids. Uh feel like there's probably 19 more things I could say. But uh, Marcus, if there's anything you want to add I mean, uh, to that. To I'm just going to say, as a guy who go. met Marcus literally today, literally 10 minutes ago, I'm just blown away. I just did. I just literally just Googled his name and I'm just blown away, Marcus, by the amount of things that you do in your free time. I mean, I'm seeing (laughs) conference speaker or conference MC. I'm seeing published writer, professional singer, voice actor. There's something I forgot. That's it. Voice actor. Okay. This is great. This is great. So my favorite anime, Dragon Ball Z, (laughs) Um, Marcus is one of the voices in the new, uh, in the, in the reboot of the series in Dragon Ball Super. He's the voice of a God actually, which is very, <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. So yeah, listeners, but when you see this God, you won't, you won't think he's much of a God. Or, or. Listeners, you're listening to a podcast with the literal voice of a God. So <laughs> yeah, Marcus yeah, is man. Ah uh, no, man! I'm that yeah. There's, there's, you know, I'm one of those guys who who just can't figure out what he wants to do when he grows up. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, yeah, you can Google me. You'll find a lot of different random things that doesn't seem to work to 
together. That's uh, definitely right now just hanging out, enjoying my job as a, an external pa- external focus pastor, which is just kind of that outreach pastor, like you said, at Wood Creek Church. And love uh, love the uh, organization I get to lead, Threaded, which is just a racial justice and unity organization that's committed to inspiring relationships, reconciliation, and collaborative action among the diverse body of Christ. So, yeah, we got small groups. Josh is in a small group right now, but we we do a lot That's of other it. things, conferences, mm. uh, big events, and, uh, you know, connecting people to the community where uh, multi-ethnic uh, individuals come together and they go into the community and are able to look at the community through the multi-lenses uh, of different ethnic groups as opposed to just one ethnic group kind of looking and going into the community and saying this is what the community needs it's like nah let's let's get everybody in this thing so um, yeah so it's fun oh that's it's perfect fun. We've, we've had it we've had a good run for for the last couple of years well when i make the show notes i'll definitely flip a coin on whether to link to your church ministry page or your imdb page so it's going to be one of those two <laughs> you don't have a choice we'll just let fair enough decide. man fair enough yeah <laughs> i love that i love that yeah, well, uh, like Joel said, you're you're actually jumping in uh, on the tail end. We got, a, I think, probably about two or three what? episodes yeah. left yeah. of uh, of our Black Lives Matter series. It, of course, mm. we started um, at the, I guess, the right at the top of the summer um, after we got done with our politics series, and we've been looking at all these different angles of 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 the uh, minority experience in the American context, particularly the Black experience. And uh, you get to join us for the portion where we want to talk about what is it like, um, as as you've guided me and many others, um, what is it like to be a minority um, navigating a majority space? And so just just when you even hear uh, the idea of a minority navigating a majority space, irregardless of the setting, what are some things that come to mind? and uh, even, you know, as maybe from your own personal story, what's kind of been your experience with having to navigate that? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting game. And I think that's the, the, the terminology, like, you're constantly sort of juggling, you know what I mean? You're, you're analyzing, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, ways in which people engage you. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of self-awareness that you have to be aware of. Of. You have to be able to, to uh, navigate your space really well and understand where the, the potential cautions are. Uh, you're constantly analyzing people as they come up to you. Which kind of person is this? Which kind of person is is this? Um, and, and, you know, I was actually just talking to somebody about this the other day. You know, I think a lot of times uh, those minorities that are in predominantly white spaces, you know, they get called a lot of different names from their minority group. You know, usually they're being attacked as uh, being closer to whites or Sort of, particularly in the black context, this Uncle Tom or this sellout and whatnot, and or not you ever get be, called or an not Oreo, an Oreo, right? Black on the outside, white on the inside. You know, but there's <laughs> this, there's this, there's this construct, right, in which it's this: you're not, you know, black enough. And, mm-hmm. and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I said, uh, when you're a minority in a white space, you are in some ways the blackest person there because, like, you know, we just went through this election season, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you are a minority in a predominantly white space, if the predominantly white space is frustrated at minorities, they take it out on the first black person or minority that they see. And that's going to be you. Mm -hmm. They're not driving down to, you know, the urban context to go and 
to 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 spit their vitriol on the streets in the urban context, they're already scared to do that. Mm-hmm. So they just find the closest minority to them and spit that at them. And so you have to constantly be, you know, evaluating like who you're dealing with. And so, um, uh, but at the same time, on the on the positive standpoint, like I think you get a you get a big a bigger picture of you know the world. You get a bigger picture of even how to see uh, God through uh, different eyes. Um, and so it, it it's got its pros and cons for sure. Um, you know, I've I've had my history in it for a long time, and so I've had my my fill of, of pros and cons uh, in the predominantly white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got reminded of how white I I always get reminded of how white my world was growing up when I, I went back to Mississippi this weekend, this past weekend, uh to officiate a wedding and of course made time to spend time with a lot of my you know, my friends down there and uh one one of the great things is there's there's a massive difference between uh, a Texas Southern accent and a Mississippi mm. Southern accent. Mm-hmm. It's like well, Mississippi, Mississippi is the Bible. That yeah. is the scariest accent for me. <laughs> I ain't running. I ain't trying to hear Mississippi. You know, I ain't trying to be like lost somewhere and a car pulls up and it's like a Mississippi. It's like Mississippi or Louisiana accent. I'm out. I'm like, this, I, I just need to, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. So, yeah, I, I, you know, of course I get the privilege of feeling uh, safe because I, you know, I grew up with all these people, but you know, it, it's funny. Like I, you know, as I'm hanging out with people, you know, like there's definitely a, significant amount of people of color there but it but you know my 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 circles and where i was growing up even even the the people that i mostly associated with in school just very white and i and i and you know none of that really came up this weekend as we were like reminiscing talking catching up but i think i just ended up processing it a lot and just being like man there were so many little things that i had to think about like I would yeah. wear, you know, grease in my hair or, you know, have more oils on my body. And so sometimes when I would like lean on a window, um, like some of the some of that would come off on the window and my white friends would see it and they'd be like, what is all of that? Um, yeah. Or like, you know, like the classic thing was like, I loved hip hop and yeah. my youth group, they would try to like have us listen to like, you know, some Toby Mac some KJ five two mm. some uh oh what was oh, it man I forgot about KJ five two yeah <laughs> I haven't heard KJ five two in a while the, you brought it back wow. the 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 first Eminem copycat that I yeah remember. yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> but uh, all about KJ five two that's but yeah like they had me they tried to have me listen to it and I just I was like man you know it's cool but you know in comparison to Jay Z and Eminem it's, it's not it it's not, I'm not it. feeling like, it yeah. no it's not quite <laughs> yeah. holding it down. And uh, See, what's funny is in, in, uh, in the white space I was in, they, if you had, if particularly like a church space, they were, I, I'm older than you, right? So, you know, it wasn't Toby Mac. It was DC Talk. Oh, like, yeah. That's what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, the first CD back. I was, ever like, got was a DC Talk CD. the first one? That was the first one. <laughs> well, see, the problem is, is whenever, like, so at my church, whenever we would do, like, stuff that had, like, you know, any kind of rap or in it, and uh, I, they would immediately look to me to, like, on the wire trips to do the rap piece you know what i'm saying and that was just it was it wasn't even a, like i was i was i wasn't a rapper i was a singer but just because i was black it was like oh well you'll do the raps thing or we did the uh hold my hand song 
with uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. And then all of a sudden I get called up to sing for Darius Rucker's part. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> that's it, man. That's feeling. That's really. too funny. You know what's kind of interesting? This is what the black people do it. Yeah. What's kind of interesting <laughs> now is that looking at DC Talk, Michael Tate, the black member, yeah. is like yep. kind of in those really conservative spaces uh, yeah. now and then kevin max yeah. is like in progressive christian spaces now yeah it's really right. fascinating yeah it's yeah. fascinating man to watch hey. that and to try to figure that out that's a whole episode uh <laughs> anti-racism it, it you can you can be anti-racist and and be as white and pale and pasty as possible or you can be a white supremacist and be black, but that's a whole different, <laughs> whole different episode and a whole different. Yeah, it's like Dave Chappelle, man. That's what Dave Chappelle. <laughs> oh yeah, mm. the Klan member, <laughs> blind Klan member. <laughs> I hate black people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention Dave Chappelle on the show or not. Oh, one hundred percent. What I loved was like the perfect voice imitation that he did was literally flawless. <laughs> I like, could not tell the difference. <laughs> he does it for a living. But but yeah, I you know so yeah, it was such an interesting. I'm I'm curious, Joel. Like what? Like for you, what were <clears throat> what were like? Maybe some things that were similar to our experience oh, yeah. or been different. Yeah, for me, I grew up in a purely Indian church experience um, that was like theologically, basically Southern Baptist. Um, oh, but then my kind of school experience was pretty multicultural. Like there wasn't a clear race dynamic in my childhood in school at all. Um, uh but when I went to college at Texas A&M University, I definitely became a, a minority in a majority white space. And for me, that was actually what I wanted. Um, I was kind of sick and tired of minority spaces at that point, uh, mainly because <clears throat> for me, I associated it with with like really conservative theology and really conservative social um, Interesting. dynamics. And so I was like, if I'm going to like live at all in American society. Like I've got to get out of this bubble. And so I spent the last years, last eight years in college station being one of very, very few um, Indian people in like white Christian spaces specifically. Mm. And uh, for the first four years, I would say I was very comfortable with that. Like I totally felt like I fit in, totally didn't feel um, like an outsider, didn't feel like I wanted anything different. Um, and then over the years, you know, kind of in grad school, I started kind of being more self-aware and kind of more aware of the social dynamics and realized, okay, like there are some scenarios sometimes where I'm not really understood or I'm overlooked. There are some scenarios where I've realized that I have prioritized kind of assimilation at the expense of really uh, enjoying and affirming my own culture. And so I've kind of like mm. had to intentionally uh, bring back my own culture in my own life. I had to like bring it back in my own life and I had to be more vocal about it with other people because people always ask questions like I'm obviously different. So people would ask questions and earlier in college, I'd kind of like blow it off be like, oh yeah, just give a quick answer and like move on. But I'm like, because I wanted to convince them I'm just like you. Um, and then later I was like, no, like I have a rich cultural heritage to share and especially when people ask me questions, um, that's an opportunity for me to like expand their horizons and, and that sort of thing. So 
it for me the challenge was growing up in a very conservative theological space and for conservative social space <laughs> kind of forced or uh, led me to set aside my cultural background and then and assimilate to majority white culture and then i've been reintegrating it and forming a new um kind of hybrid model i still am very comfortable in majority white spaces it's sometimes i'll like pause and realize wow i'm like literally the only person of color in this room <laughs> of 300 people like that happens to me all the time and most mm. of the time i don't notice but when i do notice i'm like what is what does that mean like do people, yeah. <laughs> people think about that? i'm so curious as to what people think about that like i, I wonder what's running <laughs> through their head because i forget all the time yeah. so yeah it's, it's, it. it's kind of interesting for me i haven't had any traumatic experiences i've had you know microaggressions that sort of thing but nothing that really caused me to like question you know what am mm. i doing um i definitely have gotten from the indian community i definitely have <clears throat> experienced i guess a, a sense of like uh i, I guess the uh, the equivalent term for us is coconut when you're brown on the outside mm. white on the Wait, inside what i've never heard yeah, that. yeah dude yeah uh, that's my label um and so i definitely get that label and it had that reputation um and i had it very early like even in high school when i was in indian when i was in uh indian communities and i was like the one listening to reliant k and they're like what the hell are you doing uh, <laughs> um yeah for real and so it's kind of interesting that as i've grown older i've seen more and more of the indian people i grew up with um, step into white spaces in church um, and kind of shift to different, um, I, I guess, more more mainstream evangelical theological positions or, or at least church communities. It's mainly a community decision. And so what what I felt like an outsider, I felt like an outsider for embracing white culture as a kid. But now a lot of the people I grew up with are kind of in the same boat. Mm. Um. So it's just it's just a different dynamic than the black community for sure because Indians mm -hmm. don't have as much of a cultural presence in America. Um, I will say that most of the people I grew up with, when they went to college, they hung out with Indian people. They had Indian Bible studies. They had um, like those were their friend groups. Like and everybody knows everybody. It's like definitely like literally every Indian person in at A and M knows every other Indian person mm. for, for for the most part. Um, and there's there's like you know hundred of them maybe out of a college of God, thousands so <laughs> so what's funny joel is you know my my best friend still very close friend but best friend all through college uh, roommate for all my years of college three years of it anyway uh is was an indian uh, american and uh and we just had just the greatest time just having all these discussions about trying to live in this majority mm -hmm. white space and um, now he wasn't he wasn't a Christian. He was very much he started off uh, in Hinduism and actually became um, Muslim uh, as we were going through. And now it's just kind of out there floating, trying to figure mm -hmm. out what's going on. But uh, it, what was so interesting, I, you just made me think of, you know, this this uh, this sense of you're kind of like, um, I don't know, you were talking about this idea of not really um, the cultural presence, if you will. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I thought was so, it's not really funny. It's actually sad, but it was, it was funny to us because you got to laugh about it. When 9-11 happens, we looked at each other and it was just like, uh, all right, your turn. Right. Because America mm. has such a disconnect of like what Brown, where Brown people are from that if they see anybody who looks like you or like my friend, they just assume them 
that they're from, you know, the Middle East mm-hmm. or someplace. And so from at once 9-11 happened, it was like the the I, all the, you know, black people have been dealing with the racism and all this stuff for so long. And it was like, oh, 9-11, your turn. Black people going to get a break. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, so man. <laughs> oh, man. We, we had a good time. But I've, I've, I've been fascinated that in that particular relationship was where I, I really realized the camaraderie that happens amongst even minorities oh, yeah. uh, in a predominantly white space. Uh, my 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 wife has this cousin who actually, you know, I'm the first sort of person of color that has been brought into her family. Right, I have this uh, biracial marriage that I'm inside in. in. But uh, my wife's cousin, she actually married uh, a, an Indian guy, and he would he would kind of tell himself, you know, he's he's not like this. Uh, I don't know, kind of. He would always say, "I'm kind of the whitest Indian you know," right? Yeah, <laughs> he would yeah. Say those kinds of things. <laughs> but when we had the wedding, you know, it was a very traditional, like Indian wedding, which I love because my friend in college did the same thing. But we were at a, we were at another wedding. One of our uh, one of the aunts uh, got remarried, and uh, and I got there just a little bit late with my family, and I walked in, and it's this small little place over at Baylor, and I walk in, it's all these, uh, you know, it's just just a whole room full of white people. And so I see uh, my, you know, my sort of cousin-in-law, if you will, kind of sitting over there. So I go and sit down to him and he's never really talked to me like as, as a person in a racial space. But in that moment, he leaned over to me. He goes, I think we're the only brown people in this whole spot. You know what I mean? And I was like, <laughs> when did you start talking like that? You know, so, <laughs> it was it was interesting to just see, you know, it's this constant camaraderie of oh, yeah. the, you know, the non-white, you know, in the space, which I think is very interesting where you're in a, you know, when you're working in a, working in or living in a predominantly white area, how there's this, you know, cross-cultural camaraderie that happens in certain situations. Yeah. So and it's just fascinating. You know, what's really fascinating about Asian American immigrants specifically um, is that, you know, while I was busy listening to Reliant K, every other Indian kid was listening to Lil Wayne. And every other kid was playing ball, pickup ball on the street every day. Um, I mean, black and literally Indian culture, Indian youth culture appropriates so much black culture um, because that's that's like their example. Like that's the closest thing they have, uh, especially when I was growing up early 2000s, uh, especially in the 90s, for sure. Mm-hmm. For for those two decades, that was some good music, yo. That was some good. Oh music. yeah, it was it I was. missed it. I have to like go back and and catch <laughs> up because I was had other priorities. But <laughs> you know, you, you it's it's fascinating that the black experience in America was something that Indian youth like connected with at some level. Um, it was uh, f- extremely formative, specifically music and basketball. Those were the top mm. two. There's actually literally a, uh, a sociological book on this called Desi Hoop Dreams. Um, what? De- yeah, Desi <laughs> is, a, is a term for like Indian and Middle Eastern um, uh, people. Yeah, it's it's I'm really interesting. Right now. <laughs> also, uh, Josh, oh, I want to have a podcast episode called Desi Hoop Dreams at some point in the future. So, oh, we'll have to mm-hmm. that away. Audience, you're listening. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> Desi Hoop Dreams. I might steal that from my episode. Y'all better get it done quick. <laughs> oh, dang! Okay. Better get it done quick. <laughs> we'll get it out. We'll get uh, it out. Man. But, but yeah, Marcus, like, tell us more about like. Okay, so you know, we all have the shared experience of being a minority in a majority white space, and for me, it's been mostly positive outside of the you know occasional microaggression uh tell me about your experience did you have any experiences that were more negative more kind of get you to question 
is this worth it? Is this worth the investment? Am I am I really on the right path? Should I would I be better off in uh, my home culture? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because again, I grew up mostly in the space, so there's there's this constant feeling, and you know, I think it's W. B. Du Bois who calls it this double consciousness. You know, where you 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 in some ways you don't feel at home really anywhere because you're. You're connected to blackness, but you've also been in whiteness for a long time. So you're, you're kind of holding on to both of those things. But um, I think, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had some really great experiences growing up in a predominantly white culture, for sure. I think the connection to power and the connection to uh, financial understanding. I mean, there's just a lot of networks that I'm a part of that become, you know, make it makes it easier to to find jobs. You, you know a lot about what normative life looks like so you can emulate it and you can, you know, in some cases manipulate it to get some things that you need, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but, but it's been, you know, it hasn't been, you know, smooth sailing all the way around. I think, you know, obviously there there are lots of microaggressions uh, that that come in that you've got to kind of maneuver through. But even macroaggressions, you know, I mean, even straight up racism. I mean, again, you guys are a little bit younger than I am, but uh, I think just even growing up in, in the black space or excuse me, growing up in white space. I mean, the amount of times I got called the N word, is just hard to even count. Um, but even beyond that, to sort of the expectation or the stereotypes that were kind of thro- kind of thrust upon you, um, the amount of times you had to sort of explain aspects of blackness to people. Right. Like, I mean, even the other day I have, you know, I have these dreads that, that I'm kind of starting to get work in it and having to kind of explain, you know, away the stereotypes of dreads. It's like, oh, so you have dreadlocks. So that means you don't wash your hair. I was like, no, no, I, I wash my hair. Uh, I just, you know, well, what do you, I just, you know, I don't comb it because of this kind of stuff. Right. And so you're tr- constantly explaining like why hair works the way it does. Right. You're, you're constantly having to um, reprogram people to recognize that just because you're black doesn't mean you're good at basketball or that you're a better dancer or that you can sing well or you know what I mean or oh that, mm-hmm. I, I bet that guy's fast right because he's black it's like no that's not how that works you know mm-hmm. so uh, constantly doing that and even even more you know pervasive you know I've had experiences I've been at multiple churches and there was a church that was at once that you know um, I, I I was on stage and it was in the midst of you know there's there's always there's been police shootings for you know, a long time just where black for police officers have shot black people. And, uh, but we had uh, a police officer that was shot down the street from our church uh, in a, in a, a home invasion kind of thing. And so no, no black person was killed in the midst of it. Right. Um, in, in fact, it was a, a Latino person who was killed and a police officer that was killed. It was kind of the first police officer in a long time that had been killed in that particular city. And, uh, and so I get kind of, you know, I get kind of drew drew the, the short straw to get up and kind of pray about that uh, in the the um, uh, in the church, and I said, you know, I, we just want to pray for the police shooting that was down the street from us. You know what I mean? Let's pray for the police officers. Let's pray for the the police department. Let's pray for the the family that was impacted by that. Blah blah blah. And uh, you know, between services, I had somebody come up to me and said, "Hey, there's a group of folks out there that are ticked at you right now." I was like, "What?" What are you talking about? Well, what I come to find out is they thought that when I said police shooting, that I was trying to tell the people that a police officer had shot a black person, even though that wasn't the story. Like that wasn't the news story. They thought that I was trying to lie in front of the congregation uh, to try to get them thinking about police officers in a bad way. 
And so what that what that what that articulated to me is that they were wanting to hear me say certain things. They had sort of these understanding understanding about how race and how black people and police interact. And so when I get up and talk about police, they're waiting for me to say something negative about police. And they heard what they wanted to hear. And they eventually ended up like emailing, you know, my bosses and all that kind of stuff. And it became this whole thing uh, where we had to kind of go back and listen to the tape, you know, like, did market, did I say anything? What did I say? Uh, and it was just, again, people, you know, kind of thinking that way. And, and, and it's been even, you know, the points where people have called me a diversity hire. Uh, they've told me I don't like refugees because black people don't like refugees because black refugees are taking black people's jobs, you know, things of that nature. Um, you know, it, it, and the list goes on and on. So uh, I, I definitely had some negative experience that make you go, you know, is this worth it? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> is this mm -hmm. the way it's going to be? You know, people saying you're a credit to your race because you can, you know, finish sentences or you have ING on the end of your words, things of that nature. So it, it's, uh, it, it's constantly trying to maneuver through, uh, the, the unintentional, but then there's this sense, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, that when people have an issue, uh, particularly if they're seeing it in the world and they have an issue with how black people or minorities are doing it, they take it out on you because you're the closest one to them. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have to just be kind of ready for that. Mm. No, that's gosh, that's so good. And so normal, you know, for me, it was, I didn't get called the N word, but it was, because I was being contrasted with the N word. Uh, so what would normally happen was I would get told, um, Josh, you're different. You're black. You're not like those, those niggers. Um, and then sometimes they would interchange that with thug, which is why I was always interesting when the new, when that became a big news story, I was like, yeah, y'all know y'all already interchanged the N word with thug. So <laughs> why are you upset when people are saying that how you're saying thug is actually He's saying the N word, um, but no, I was always told like, no, you're you're different. You're 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 black. You're not like them. Um, and I was like, no, no, no. I'm, I, you know, I've, I didn't say it then because I, you know, my own personal arc just didn't. I didn't have that Malcolm in me yet. I, <laughs> right. took, it was uh, it was Trayvon Martin that that kind of that kind of awoke within me. Kind of the like, uh, uh, I'm not tolerating this anymore. Um, but yeah, like in the moment, I, I wish I, I would have said like, no, like not only am I one of them, but it's like you see me when I hang around you. But it's like I also spend a significant amount of time in the black community, not just with family, but a lot of my closest friends. The wedding I did this weekend was a was a was an African-American couple. And so it's like um, it's like, no, I, I identify with them. And, and I think it took my story arc a while to. um to to have those moments where instead of just like privately being proud of being black, I went to like publicly being like, no, 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 no. like yeah. very proud to be black, very much enjoy black culture, very much um, um, enjoy my heritage, very much empathize with the um, with the with the struggles but even to like some of those some of these things that we were talking about earlier this idea of like um you know quote unquote acting white you know it's like that kind of you know behavioral racism was was such a uh such a weird thing for me as well growing up because i can't tell you how many times i've gone out with friends and 
you know, I'll dance for just a little bit, just like the, mu- yeah. the music just getting started. We're just getting out on the floor and they'll be like, Ooh, look how white Josh dances. And I'm like, one, all of y'all are white. So I'm not about to break out. Like I don't put on a show, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, it's like one, you, I don't quote unquote dance white, but two, like, what does that mean? And it's so funny when you like yeah. people define it. What does yeah, it mean right. to talk white? You know, one time I Tim Duncan was talking on television, and I was sitting with a white friend, and he was like, "You know, he oh he talks white." And I challenged him on that. I was like, "What does that mean? Does that mean he yeah. talks articulate?" Because I was like, "Because I was like, even people who speak Ebonics are very articulate and also speak very appropriately." And I was like, "Are you are you saying that black people talk dumb? Are you like you, and you, when you put their feet to the fire? It's almost like, well, no, 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 I'm well, kind of, but no, I, you know, it's it's so it's That's, like it, all of that stuff just comes into the into the narrative, and it makes yeah, it makes navigating that space just that much more difficult because of all the lack of training that." the majority of Americans have had on consciousness and understanding different cultures and cross-cultural engagement. And then as a minority in that space, you just get the brunt of everything. Yeah. You know, I, I one of the things I find is so interesting about what you were talking about, right. Is <clears throat> you, this, this sense of claiming, claiming whiteness when it's, it, when, when it's exhibited by other people, but not putting that on other people. So I'll say it like this. So, so you're, you and I are talking, right. Or we're talking to somebody who's white and they would, maybe they listen to it and maybe because we're quote unquote articulate, they may say you talk white. Right. So the negative connotation is that black people, like you were saying, black people do not talk or do not speak well. So that's mm-hmm. the negative thing that they already put on black people. Now, when a black person comes and they actually speak well, Instead of grabbing that attribute and now putting it on black people and saying, oh, black people do speak well, they mm-hmm. actually approach, they, they steal it mm-hmm. and they say, no, you don't get to have that as a black person because it's a good trait. We're actually mm-hmm. going to name it as white because mm-hmm. we can't uh, we can't allow for you to have a good trait because our con- our understanding of you is not that. Mm-hmm. So when we see something we like in you, we are going to claim it and take it from you and say it's white and anything mm-hmm. bad we see in you, we're going to let you keep that. Right. And and so and, and even themselves. Right. When they would say, oh, my gosh, I'm acting so ghetto right now. You know what I mean? Like whatever. <laughs> like it's they it, what those things are negative aspects. Yes. You know, they would mm-hmm. kind of even take them off of whiteness and give them to blackness. Exactly. So it's really fascinating to watch. I'm acting ghetto means I'm being lazy. I'm being irresponsible. I'm messy. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Like, and it's like it's like, you know, like. And it, it's funny, like Ibram Kendi talks about this in, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I probably referenced that book a million times just on this show, <laughs> much less sure. oh, yeah. in my life. But he he talks about, he's like, he's like, you know, he has a section in there. This section was kind of on violence. Um, but he was like, you know, most days in my community, like things were just fine. You know, he was like, most days we danced and played and cooked and had a great time and nobody got hurt. And he was telling, he was, he was saying, you know, I, I was always terrified that if I stepped on this guy's shoes, his new sneakers, he'd kill me. Or, you know, if I, if I said the wrong thing to this person, he'd hurt me. And he was like, it never happened. It never happened. Mm. Like a lot of the narrative around the hood 
and communities of, of, of color and impoverished communities of color, while there is statistical data that there is more crime that happens there, which is strictly because of socioeconomics and resources, you know, um, but it's like a lot of the narrative isn't even true. And so it's always interesting mm-hmm. when it's like, you know, like you were saying, Marcus, a white person takes that adjective of ghetto or hood or ratchet and they immediately associate it with with something negative. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm I'm righteous and ratchet. And what I mean by ratchet is not anything negative. It's like mm-hmm. the the ratchet side of me is just as holy as the righteous side of me. It's it's mm-hmm. just it's just a different um cultural expression of how I display the holiness of Jesus based off of um based off of my culture. Um uh Marcus, I was one of the things I was one to uh, step into in this episode was, you know, you uh, particularly have had to be or have chosen to be in white spaces as a minister. And yeah. before we even move to some of the practicality of what that looks like and kind of navigating that theologically, how has that been challenging for you as a, as a, as a uh, pastor? No, that, look, that's a that's a great question. I think the theological challenge is, you know, so much of my life is is underneath, um, you know, brothers and sisters who are white, and so we know that that theologically, as we follow sort of how theology grew, kind of grew and, and made its way into Western society, uh, it had a particular lens that was a predominantly white lens in which they looked through uh, to analyze and to approach scripture. And so um, Western society, obviously, it, it maximizes uh, and, and the, the individual individualism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, materialism, uh, patriotism, nationalism, these types of things are, are, are very much um, um, kind of the DNA of white uh, evangelical, particularly theology. And so mm-hmm. when the, the challenges I have theologically is when I look at the scripture and when say my, you know, somebody, one of my brothers and sisters who are white, who are in my, in the position of power over me, look at the scripture, we may say, we may differ on what the main point of that particular passage is based on the, um, the lens of individualism and collectivism, right? So when I'm, when I'm maneuvering through, uh, say Paul's letters, um, I'm, I'm thinking about it in, in terms of, you know, this is a letter to a group. When, when I see him engaging in conversations with the Jews and Gentiles in their disunity, um, the Jews and Gentile Christians in their disunity, I'm, I'm preaching on it from a, a cultural standpoint of, yeah, it would make sense that the Jewish, the Jewish uh, Christians and the Gentile Christians would have beef with one another because their history of their cultures together, uh, there's just a lot of animosity. There's an oppressor, oppression uh, you know, dynamic that's going on, a power dynamic between Jewish Christians and, and or Jews and Gentiles. And then when you tr- put the Christian thing in there, they're trying to they're trying to work it out with this recognition of, wait, didn't you oppress me last week? And now you're <laughs> part of my family, <laughs> right? And so that that context of of trying to articulate that sometimes gets a bit dodgy when you then put it into a a relevant uh, cultural context of today, uh, mm. because I can really kind of grab that and go. You want to understand why black evangelicals and white evangelicals don't get along? Well, you can just find that in the scriptures. Just look at how the Jewish and the Christians get along. You'll be able to understand that. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a that's a difficult piece for sure uh, from from a theological standpoint to have to wrestle with that. And even in my own preaching, I'm on a pre- preaching team and I'm the only person of color on the preaching team. The constant thing I have to do is go, don't forget the communal aspect of the application. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the communal you know understanding of this passage. Uh, and it's it, I say it almost every week, and I and I don't know why it's not you know it, the reason it's not picked up on because that's just not the nature of uh, Western evangelicalism. It's very individualistic. So mm-hmm. uh, so definitely a lot of that that individualism is a theological point that mm-hmm. that constantly have to wrestle with going forward. Oh, and and here's one thing I'll say too, just with that. Yeah, you know, but the, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, there's also, and this is not necessarily the theological, but there's also the the presentation of the yeah. scripture, yeah, and the presentation <laughs> when you get on stage. Like I'm just completely opposite in my presentation from all my white brothers and sisters who are on the preaching team with me. I'm just completely opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a cultural aspect in which I'm just more demonstrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and and personality wise, and it comes from the black tradition church as well. There's a bit more of a prophetic uh, engagement mm-hmm. from the scriptures, which which when you when you speak in that prophetic mode, uh, the the um, the accusation of that prophetic mode will be uh, you're being harsh or you're mm-hmm. being critical. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you seem pretty. You know, you seem angry up there, right? Uh, you don't seem very loving, right? And I'm sitting here going, I'm I'm completely loving this church, but there's a <laughs> cultural disconnect. Uh, begin because that's how that's how I as a as a black preacher expresses themselves, and so it feels and and when you're saying the things that are difficult and things that that maybe people aren't used to hearing, it just gets translated as this guy's an angry black man, mm-hmm. and so you have to kind of manage even like how am I going to present this, and how do I present this in a way that I don't lose the ethnic uniqueness that I think this church needs to see. Um, but still be able to do it and communicate in a way that they can hear. So that, that that's some of the things I think of when uh, based on your question. Yeah, gosh, that's really good. Uh, it's really especially that present. I like that you added that presentation piece in the end because it's it's different and it, it's still theological because it's like one is a little bit the the white church tends to be a little bit more priestly of just we're just yeah. going to communicate what's on the scroll. We're just kind of a scribe, whereas the, the the black church tends to be more uh, prophetic and it's like, we yeah. want to, we really want to get at your heart. We really want you, we want you to feel this in your bones, not just in your mind, you know? Yeah. We've got to figure uh, out a way to put the divine mm-hmm. into the human situation. You know yes. what I mean? Because and so we needed that because our situation was so rot with, you know, uh, you know, um, heartache and pain and suffering. And yes. so, and yeah, so that, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing when you start to think of multi-ethnic churches and things of that nature, you've got to, you got to maneuver through those dynamics for sure. hundred percent. And you know, one of the, one of the things that I've been, I think one of the, one of the most dangerous things that that's about to take over the church theologically is Christian nationalism. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I've been I've been studying that stuff pretty hardcore and really um, focusing a lot of my um, not only studies but even writings on that. Um, and uh, and one of the differences that I've seen between the black church and the white church is actually both of them have Christian nationalist uh, tendencies, hmm. but with the white church, it's normally. America is inherently a Christian nation and we are losing that grip 
Yeah. And with the black churches, normally America has been haunted by Christianity and it is a pre-Christian society that is, has the potential to become mm. Christian. Mm. Um, and, and it's interesting because a lot of times I'll, you know, I'll get framed in some of my critiques of America as like non-patriotic. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Right. I love America and I yeah. want to see it be America. And I want to see God's influence on these really good ideas that we have of the constitution and, uh, you know, the deck, you know, the, the declaration of independence and, and I, I, and some of the Judeo Christian values that are here. Like, I want to see us like live up to that potential. So I'm, yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually in, in a sense, I'm a, I am a Christian nationalist. Just, I think there's a future for it instead of, I believe it inherently already exists and that amongst all the oppression, I just get to kind of say, Oh, that was still Christian. It was just, you know, we, you know, it's like slavery's in the Bible. So, you know, it's okay. You know, like I don't have to justify what's already been happening. I can prophetically speak truth to power. And, and so there's, there's, there's also that huge theological difference that, uh, that can be misread. So really quick example Colin Kaepernick can be looked at as non-patriotic when he would say, I'm actually doing my first amendment right and hoping the best for America. Um, And the black church has kind of always gotten that kind of lump on the head of kind of being haters of America when really theologically they're, they're they're just being prophetic in the, in the space. You know, something I've, I've been learning and, and trying to think about lately is how the majority of the American church knows that the black church exists and maybe they know a couple of stereotypes like the charismatic culture or the preaching style. Um, prosperity gospel is also prosperity gospel or something, something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, they may know these like very service level stereotypical things. Um, or maybe they know that like a Kojic church is like really strict or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, the black theological tradition, which is rich, is missing from the greater Christian cultural awareness. And yes. I'm wondering, like, how do we bring that to the forefront of the American Christian consciousness? How do we really, I guess, um, help explain or integrate or showcase what the black theological tradition has to offer and make it more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Marcus? Yeah. Well, I think definitely you got to go to where we, we determine legitimacy of doctrine and theology and you got to go to the seminaries. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think again, and it's kind of the cliche thing, but, Black theology is an elective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When you go to seminary, it's not, it's the core curriculum is just called theology. And that's usually that, what that means is white theology. Mm-hmm. Now it's not going to be called white theology, but yeah. core curriculum, you just call it theology and it's, and it's, you know, Spurgeon and, mm-hmm. and all these cats and you're, you're dealing with white theology. And if you, if you got time, if you want to stay around for another semester, right, you could take black theology or you can take, <laughs> you know, Korean theology or Latinx theology, and and so of course those mm-hmm. things seem like lesser things. I think mm-hmm. if you make if you make people when they come into 
the the seminary space, the academia, where a lot of our pastors are, are kind of birthed, if you will. Yeah. If you if you make them study uh, this these multi ethnic you know theologies, if you will, it, and it feels weird, right? Because it's almost like you're saying it's almost like uh, cluing people in that 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 somehow. Uh, black people and Latino people have different theologies, right? They they have different lenses at which they view theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what needs to be articulated, whether that's through modules uh, as you go through theology, or if it's just a criteria where people have to study it. Um, because I think, and even beyond that, even beyond, again, when you're dealing with black theology is you, you have to understand the, the, and I love to what you're talking about, Josh, with this sort of post-Christian, pre-Christian mm. ideal, mm-hmm. um, really helping people to see that the the black church is is in this sort of pre-Christian idea of what America actually is going to be. Uh, and we're just waiting for it to actually live into its ideals where and and you have to have this lament, I think, for uh you, you have to have a, a lament and a confession about the the um the the racial lens at which our theology, the the quote unquote mm-hmm. normative theology has been created in. Like you have to articulate that. You have to, you have to name white supremacy as a core mm-hmm. pillar of our Western theology. Or and, and if you can if you can break that down, if you can make ourselves look at Western theology in, 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 the, in the, the ways in which white supremacy has intersected it, then we then we have to start moving away from that and we have to go, what do we what do we turn to? Uh, if we can't turn to this, and I think that that's where you'll see some of these other ethnic groups, uh, lenses of theology come in and you get sort of that, you know, lack of a better word, you get sort of this counter storytelling in the theological space, um, where, you know, you're, I I always say this, I always say like, you know, if you go to different churches, you go to different homogenous churches, right? You go to a black church, you're going to hear a lot about redemption. You're going to hear songs like, you know, I'm coming up on the rough side. (laughs) <laughs> kind of when you go to white you're gonna be hearing stuff like god of wonders beyond our majesty <laughs> right it's this sort of like top of the mountain kind of thing mm-hmm. and what i always say is both of those perspectives of god are absolutely accurate they're just limited mm-hmm. right they're just incomplete and so when if we can tear down this this false western sort of idea of god and now, in some ways, start over where we bring all the the narratives in. I think we're going to get a bigger picture. So, you know, uh, I, I know think I heard recently. I think I heard recently that uh, there are seven historically black seminaries in the U.S. and none of them grant PhDs. So, if mm. you want to be a biblical scholar, you have to go to a historically white institution. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Which, so just ridiculous. And look, uh, yeah. we just got we just yeah. got our first. African American uh, commentary uh, commentary mm-hmm. with with Tony Evans. This is the right. first one, 2019. That's <laughs> Come insane, on, y'all. That's we got insane. we got African the African commentaries for sure, but first mm-hmm. African American commentary. It's nuts. Yeah, it's insane. You know, I'm excited about think, an upcoming project yeah. called uh, the New Testament in Color. It is a oh, commentary yes. on the New Testament. And mm-hmm. it has different sections by different uh, people of color. So there's mm. there is a white theologian who I actually haven't heard of him. Then Esau Macaulay is uh, the black theologian, and then there's um, there's a Latino the- theologian. There's an Asian. So it's a really interesting project, uh, which I'm really excited about to see. Like how do, how do we filter in a commentary in the New Testament through all and like look at all of the cultural interpretations mm-hmm. at once? I'm really mm. excited for that. Well, I'm going to just throw this out here. I think what we're going to end up with 
quite frankly, is a much more accurate understanding of the New Testament. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is now you're going to see, like what Marcus was saying earlier, uh, people are going to write from a loud experience of understanding the dynamics of racial prejudice and how to do cross-cultural engagement. You're going to see uh, theology from the margins and from the oppressed, yeah. which yep. was most of New Testament early Christian theology. Mm-hmm. Um, the apocalyptic literature is going to be handled completely different mm-hmm. because um, uh, black people have a, or, or people of color who particularly people who've been marginalized have, have a, uh, a, a far more sophisticated understanding of the end times and a more redemptive understanding of the end times instead of a doomsday, like, earth will be burned up. We get to escape and leave the creation order. So I'm, I'm so excited for that. Cause I think you're going to get a much more accurate understanding of the new Testament. I think everything to answer your earlier question, Joel, is I think we got to start our theology in AD 33 instead of in AD 1517. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. cannot start our theology with Martin Luther. He he was great. He's important. He had a great reformation. He had a great protest to the the wickedness that had crept into the Catholic. Honestly, he was actually protesting Christian nationalism, but different conversation for a different day. Yeah. Um, sure. But it's like he, he what he did in his time was phenomenal, but you can't start theology there. Our understanding of justification, our understanding of sanctification, our understanding of atonement, uh, Bible study, hermeneutics, uh, uh, preaching stuff, all of that comes from there. And it's like there was 1,500 years of Christianity before that happened, and we can't lose all of that. It's got to start with Jesus and Paul. It's got to start. We got to get to those early church fathers, and and a lot of them are from Africa, you know, and it's like, we, we got to get back there. I think that's going to be a huge, I think just that in and of itself, even without some of the particulars of the ethnic diversity that is already here in the American church, um, just that in and of itself is going to bring out a lot of critiques um, for um, the white supremacy and the um, kind of tie with empire and imperialism that the church has experienced in the, you know, last four centuries, particularly in the American context. Yeah, no doubt, man. I love that. That's a perfect way. I mean, just just going through the book of Acts will get you a, a pretty good way down the road on some of the conversation <laughs> we need to be having. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And honestly, you could, I mean, if you, here's what I'll say too, is like, we don't teach Enough old, mm-hmm. which I think would help us would help us root the idea that that in some ways God kind of comes through this ethnic group, right? Mm-hmm. Like that he he chooses a group and and kind of moves through the world through this ethnic group. Like Jesus is Jesus comes into the the world as a member of a very particular ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has that that is in some ways the quintessential ethnic group. They have all the the cultural pieces, the religious pieces that come through, uh, the behavioral pieces, all those kinds of things. And we totally lose that as you kind of as Jesus gets sort of you know oxidized as you move through time. Uh, mm-hmm. You know all his ethnicity in in, in the particularity of being a, a Jewish male kind of gets lost. And and I think that's what makes it hard then for you to 
to have these conversations about, you know, ethnic groups and multi-ethnic churches, whatever, is because, you, again, we still have Jesus as this, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, or even brown-haired, blue-eyed guy and, 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 you know, the European renaissance that, that we're mm-hmm. dealing with. So I think, I think yeah, I, I, you know, it's that whole idea of people say, hey, don't get involved in social issues. We should just preach the gospel. And I'm like, yes, just preach all of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you can do it, just preach all of it. <laughs> and when you do, social issues will get lumped in because it's Absolutely. just the reality of the nature of the gospel. Yeah, the nature of just Jesus's life. Like, just walk through <laughs> his life. Lord, I mean, can anybody give me an amen? This dude was from Nazareth, right? In, da- in Dallas, they, you know, we say, ooh. Uh, you know, it's anything good from Nazareth, and they just kind of they point to Oak Cliff and they go, Wait, exactly. when people say Oak Cliff in Dallas, mm. you know what I mean? They're like, You're from Oak Cliff? <laughs> oh, what is anything good come out of Oak Cliff? Oh, right. And of course, great things come out of Oak Cliff, right? But it's just that mm. connection to this you this marginalized sort of space where people have have given up and abandoned people in that space. Jesus decided to jump down mm-hmm. into that space mm-hmm. and do his work. I think it's fascinating. I don't know why. I don't know what it is when I'm with my brothers and sisters, my white brothers and sisters in the church. Like, I I can't. I I I love I love them, but but it's hard for them, and I feel for them that they that they have been sort of exposed or they've been denied. Um, they've been denied the image and the person of Jesus for so mm-hmm. long that they don't even recognize him when he shows up. Ooh. You know what I mean? It, they just I, don't. It's it's the question of people say, let's preach Jesus. I'm like, which one are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to go back to the original, if you don't mind. This one that you've given <laughs> me doesn't seem to work out very well. So <laughs> so I feel for them because I think they're missing something. And so as a as a pastor, you know, in a white space, I think of I, in some ways I, I see my role as almost like and it, it's going to sound, you know, in some ways presumptuous, but it's a missionary role, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the opportunity for you to actually get deconstructed of your idea of who Jesus is by seeing him through the eyes of a person of color in which you can get the nuances and, and the fullness of who Christ is. Right. And so um, it, it, I see that as kind of the ministry of going in is uh, you stay in these spaces, not because it's good for you, which many times it's not, um, but you're there because you love, you love the people and you go, I want something better for you. I want you to actually know more about who Christ is. And, and you're just not going to be able to do that um, by being in your homogenous space, right? It is in diversity is not the end. It is a means to an end. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we go and we want diversity because we know that in the midst of diversity, we actually, we actually know more about who God is. Um, we find out more about ourselves. We find out more about each other. And we actually create a better image of God for the world to see so that they know who he truly is. So it, it becomes just a missionary ministry, definitely, if you're a, a minority in a predominantly white space. Mm-hmm. For oh, sure. That's all, all really good. I, yeah, I actually love that piece of you bringing out the Old Testament because that's a huge that's a huge difference with the with uh, particularly the black church, you know, growing up in it. It's like they love Old Testament stories. We preach out of the Old Testament all the time. Sure. Um, and uh, <laughs> and one of the and one of the big reasons we and you know the you know on the theological piece you know the 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 ways that white churches engage the Old Testament it they you know they'll preach to it but it feels avoidant because mm-hmm. it's either yeah. right well that was the old dispensation mm-hmm. so that's not important as important as what happens in the New Testament. And there's, there's even progressive forms of that too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or there's the every story was just talking about Jesus. That was mm-hmm. it. It wasn't doing anything. Yeah. It was just talking about Jesus. Right. And it's like, no, 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 no. That story was talking about empire. Mm-hmm. That story was talking about God overcoming empire. That story was talking about deliverance, redemption. Um, right. You know, civil disobedience. Right. Right. Civil, di- you talk about it, you know? And so it's like, you, you got to deal with those themes and that's, and that's important. Do you, you guys know, the think, last- uh, do you guys Go think ahead. Zephaniah was black? That's a good question. <laughs> no, I did, I literally never heard this that until this week, <laughs> but I'm like, oh my God. Gotta, you got me thinking about, think about going back this. and reading Zephaniah. Cause his, <laughs> so his father's name. So Zephaniah one, one, it says, you know, the word of the Lord, according to Zephaniah, son of Cushi. And Cushi mm, just means Cushite Cush, uh, or Ethiopian. And there's yeah. two Yo. instances in Zephaniah Yo. where he is prophesying and his prophecies engage the nation of Ethiopia. It's twice in the text. Yo. And so <clears throat> there, you know, it's debated, obviously, because um, sure. he's Jewish. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, the question is, like, is was his father um, a Cushite or an Ethiopian or was... Uh, maybe his dad was just like really dark skinned and they called him that or I mean, I don't know. I have not looked Yo. into it. I just I'm wondering, does the black community talk about this? Do they claim him? Um, really curious about that. I am no. also curious. At I have least, never heard that in my, my life. Is, <laughs> right. I heard that this at week. At least it never gets mentioned in my space. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, that's crazy. What one that my mind is blown, and I'm about to go do so much research. Probably the night before I do. I'm pulling my Bible out right now. <laughs> we <laughs> all do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Tony Evans commentary out right, right now. Yo, if we got a whole book by a brother, that that just changed the game. Just changed because um, I know that you know, the Coptic you, Church, like they mm, have, they yeah. like love the Queen of Sheba, and sure, there's right. a lot of connections there. For example. Um, Ethiopian eunuch. Then you got correct, what? Yeah. Uh, what is it? What psalm is it? Uh, Ethiopia will stretch out his hand, and ah, it's a psalm, but I can't I remember it off the top of my head right now. But Moses married a Moses yeah, yeah, married a sister. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And then God brought all kinds of mess down on Aaron and his, uh, uh, his sister for making they, fun of Miriam him. from mm-hmm. coming out. I was like, mm-hmm. what's <laughs> happening right now? Oh, we don't talk about that one. I once uh, I once showed that passage that. to my mom to justify dating a white girl. <laughs> <laughs> you did not do that. Oh, heck that's yeah. The best thing I've heard. That's funny. That's hilarious. It's like, mom, don't be Aaron and Miriam in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, I love it. Uh, oh. Kind of as we head into our last uh, section, uh, do want to hear like, so we did, so theologically, that's a huge piece, but like also ministerial, like in your practice, um, as much as you're, you know, of course, uh, you feel comfortable sharing, how does, how does, how does your blackness affect kind of that ministerial piece and that more practical piece? of being a minority in a majority space as a, as a Christian leader? Uh, well, you know, I, I think I'll, I can speak to that kind of in the, the larger swath of my experience in the church. So it's not, it's not very, it's not particularly specific. It's just kind of larger swath. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is this, um, there's this novelty um, to having me um, in a space. I think people are really excited about that when I show up particularly. 
they just it's it's like you know it's like barack obama being the president they're like hey this is amazing i can now show my friends that hey we've got a black pastor at our church and this is amazing <laughs> right i mean it is like and, and in fact ministerially what will happen is you know if i'm if i'm at the church and a black person shows up people will literally like bring them to me like oh you've got to meet <laughs> this cat you know and i understand the heart behind that you know what i mean they're trying to create connectivity but me and the other black people are looking at each other like I know I won't see you next week. I get it. Right. Like, <laughs> like, just like what? It, yeah. So it's, but I understand the heart behind it. Right. So there's a novelty to it. Uh, I, I find that um, at many times uh, historically in my experience is that sometimes people will, they'll like my look, but they won't want to hear about my life. Mm. Right. They, they, they like my perspective, but they don't want to hear my voice. So, hey, let's let's let's, you know, just just be up on stage. Let's just get you on stage doing something so people can see you. But once I start preaching, they're like, we really don't want you to preach the way we've asked, you know, where you're the way you're preaching, because it's making people uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, we don't want you to bring up sort of racial issues because that that makes people uncomfortable. Um, and so that's been a that's been a tough deal, because I think there's a lot of folks who who like that. But I think um, most of the places that I've been have been, uh, you know, white evangelical run by, you know, some really loving and wonderful men of God, but they, they've just been in a white, you know, space for their entire life. And so when, when a black person comes in like myself, when the, when the, um, when the pushback starts coming, they get really nervous, right? Mm. They're just like, ah, oh, this is kind of messing with, the quote unquote piece of our church. And, you know, and I always kind of have to engage and, and go, what, what piece are you looking for? Is it the, you know, Dr. King talks a lot about this negative piece versus positive piece. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think one of the things that ministerially I, I have to, I find myself desirous to do and not always successfully. And many times it's what the thing that gets me in trouble, but I, I love, I love my white brothers and sisters so much I desire to try to help them to engage people of color. Um, and, and I try to help them by communicating certain aspects of people of color from the stage. And a lot of times people don't like that. Uh, I mean, I've done a message once <clears throat> where I was trying to help people understand why people of color struggle coming to a predominantly white church. And for me, it wasn't a, it wasn't an act of criticism, but it was an act of love. It was an act of, it was, it was out of the heart of the, my heart for the unity of the body and the, 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 um, representation of the body and all its tribes, tongues, and nations that I want to see churches grow in their ethnicity. And I know that there are barriers. Uh, for people of color to come into predominantly white spaces. And so what I'd like to do is is educate the people in the white spaces on here are the reasons why you're not going to have a lot of people of color in here. Um, but again, I think when people hear that, they because they, they have subscribed to whiteness as mm-hmm. opposed to their own Christian identity uh, and have not done any sort of white identity work to be okay with their skin color, but understand whiteness as more of a, of a, of a mindset, um, they get upset and they get, uh, they, they get offended and it feels unloving. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so ministerially, I have to kind of manage that a bit, you know, what, what does God want me to do in the space? What can they listen to and hear? Um, you know, I, how do I approach people? I, I have to, there's the timbre of my voice is really, 
um, important when I'm approaching people. Um, if I'm in a meeting with uh, uh, a, a white woman, um, I have to I have to make sure somebody else is in there, and that's you know a lot of preachers have to do that too, but particularly a white woman, um, because I've had I've had some of them tell tales on me. Um, you know, I've had situations where I've, I've had people who have been in some ways so dangerous that, um, that, that I've had to make sure whenever I met with them, I had a third party in there just, just for my own safety. So they didn't say things that were untrue, um, or the possibility of it. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of kind of watching your back. There's a lot of kind of managing how much you can say about race in the space. So you're constantly like managing Okay, I'm in this meeting and I talked about this thing about race last time. If I do it again this time, then they're just going to roll their eyes cuz they're going, "Oh, here we go, the race thing again." So I have to go, "Okay, when is when can I when can I drop this?" And even when I have an issue, like if I have an issue with people that may be something to do with racism, where I would maybe make a claim that I think somebody's being racist or there's a racist thing, I have to have a full uh docket of of proof uh, for the litigation, right? So if I make a claim like, Hey, I think this person is acting racist, they're going to go, Oh, well, what proof is that? So I have to come with, Mm -hmm. Hey, here are the four or five incidents that I can line up to help you understand why I would think that way, which I I don't think is fair, right? (laughs) Like that I've got to endure five or six incidents that are potentially racially motivated or racially charged incidents just so I can bring one to the table and have credibility on it. But, mm-hmm. but that's, that's just kind of the nature of it. Again, you can't, if you're in this ministry uh, of a predominantly white, of, of a minority and predominantly white church, these are the things you're going to have to endure. Uh, and it's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of your white brothers to, to, to be freed from um, the white supremacist uh, theology that's kind of tracked us down to be freed from that. Uh, and it's kind of like Paul where he says, you know, when I'm, when I go with the, the, those of the law, I become like those of the law. When I'm those who are weak, I'm become like mm-hmm. those who are weak. And I think if you're going to be a, 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 a minority predominantly white space, you just have to recognize that there's a bit of a chameleon sort of thing that you're going to have to do. And as Paul says, I do all this so that, right, mm-hmm. or for the sake of the gospel, that people will know Jesus more. Part mm-hmm. of the diversity, like I said earlier, is an opportunity for all of us to know Jesus more. And so I, I reach for that and I, I use that to push me forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I feel I, I feel a lot of very similar things. You know, it's funny, I, I'm in this, uh, it sound, it'll sound theological, but it's really ministerial. Uh, I'm in this uh, uh, kind of, theological bible study group it's nerdy and weird but uh it's good joe's in there too perfect for you it's perfect for you that's it that's it yeah (laughs) and uh in the group we got on the topic of violence in the old testament Mm. and you know i think there were some of the standard things that would get brought up of like it's really hard like god seems really you know um violent in the old testament it's hard for non-believers to get that um, you know, so some natural things were coming up, you know, even like some good correctives of like kind of the over callousness of like some reformed theology where it's like, where did the praise? So God gave them what they deserve, you know, mm-hmm. um, engaging that. And, and I had to step in kind of with a ministerial corrective of like, Hey guys, like, have you ever considered that maybe the times where God is looking violent, he's freeing an oppressed group? Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's actually pretty often that that's the case yeah. wow. or that he's, or that he's, he's, uh, 
he's protecting something that he loves to some extent, even if it's creation mm. sometimes or his mm. priesthood or his holy, you know, there's like, there's, there's some kind of protective aspect of it rather than just a God who can't seem to control his temper. And it's like, I, I brought in that corrective and I told him like, the reason I'm bringing in this corrective is because I don't read um, some of those moments the same way you read them. Mm. When I see God spaz out on Egypt, I think, boy, what a relief that must have been for the Israelites, mm -hmm. you know, you know. And so it's like I, I think like I think even that ministerial piece of like reminding people like, hey, there's a whole another perspective that you're missing that can really help ease your mind as you do your daily Bible study when you're in the yeah. Old Testament. Uh, but another piece that I really related with that you said was like. You almost have to carry this entire different demeanor of like, you know, I'm a bigger guy, you know, a yeah. taller guy and, and, you know, I got a, you know, a lot of bass in my voice. And, and so it's like all of a sudden now all of my engagements, you know, you know, I have some white people tell me, Oh, you're such a teddy bear. And it's like, <laughs> well, I kind of have to be because if I'm not, you'll think I'm a grizzly yeah. bear. And, you know? <laughs> yeah. and then that's yeah, all. And I end up on the problem. news <laughs> later on. Yeah. Right. So. And so it's like, I, there's this like, there's this like silliness and goofiness that sometimes I wonder, is that me or have I like adapted mm. myself to like right. constantly have to bring that out to put right. people's defenses down, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and not that I'm just like, just this like stoic, you know, person all the time, but it's like, I'm actually a lot more chill than sometimes I come across right. a person. And I, and sometimes I wonder, have I, have I, and, and then and some of that accommodation is good. You know, like you said, like, when in Russian, you know, when or Russia, or when in Rome, or you know, whatever, you gotta gotta make adjustments. But I think that's such a huge piece of the kind of non idyllic, you know, space for a minority and a majority spaces. There's, there's, there, there are just things that you have to do that are unfair, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it it really sucks. And but it, <laughs> but like you said, it's it's what Paul said. It's like. But you do it for the sake of the gospel and you know that it's going to bear fruit. It won't always suck. Right. You know, it, it'll, it'll bear fruit. Yes. Redemptive suffering. <laughs> that's that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often end up in <clears throat> think, kind of thinking to myself, like, you know what? I have been in these predominantly white spaces for eight years and w would I, I don't know, I guess seek to benefit or, or feel kind of more better understood or, or better, more seen if I were in a more multicultural space. And, and then I think about it, it's like, you know, I, the I think it's almost a blessing that I don't feel awkward or weird in white spaces uh, because when it does come time where um, a white person will come to me and be ask like, Hey Joel, like, what do you think about uh, race in America? Or what do you think about race in our church? Um, that's an opportunity for me to have like a, a great conversation with someone um, or, yeah. or if we're in a discussion or a Bible study and, you know, there's a very clear, uh, like kind of white centered theology, I can, I can push back on that and say, wait, 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 hold on. Let's look at this from another right. perspective. And so I think maybe I don't even use that privilege, that opportunity as much as I should, but the opportunity to be a voice, um, where a lot, a lot of these people, like they don't have other minorities in their lives. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I forget like, oh, I'm the only minority in a lot of these people's lives, um, mm -hmm. especially the only Asian for sure. Uh, 
Um, yeah. Aside from maybe like international students that they're sharing the gospel with, which is a really common right. trope. Completely different power dynamic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very different dynamic. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I think sometimes I forget that I have that voice that's kind of unique and I probably don't mm-hmm. use it enough. No, that's a good mm-hmm. point. I mean, I, I love that. It's a sense of compassion too, mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? It's, it's that thinking about, you know, growing and being a part of our brother and sister's growth in this mm-hmm. and we're growing too right we're learning you know uh, about god from the lens that they that they bring as well but mm-hmm. uh i think when you're in that i love that he said i don't know how he said uh i don't know if i use that privilege very often and i think that there have been times historically i think we've all sort of talked about this where you didn't think you had the privilege because everything seemed like it was going well, right? Like mm-hmm. you felt you felt accepted at times, um, but then as as we've gotten as as we've progressed really in in, in the last couple of years, um, I find that it's not like you you almost got to you almost got to pull your minority flag out a little bit more and, and yeah. wave it. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's weird. Like you just go, I've got to wave this because I need you to see me. Like, yeah. I thought you saw me before, and that's why I didn't say much about this, because I thought you saw me. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm realizing that you actually never saw me. So now I've got to do something so that you see me. And so now I've got the opportunity to, when I see, like you said, a white center thing in, in the scriptures, that I can, that I've, it's my duty now to say something. Because if mm-hmm. if you didn't see me, you, you're not going to see this in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And the only way we're going to, look, we are becoming a minority majority society, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that right, the only church that's declining right now is the white evangelical church. It's the only church declining. We've got the immigrant churches and other churches of color are on the uprise. Our, 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 our society is changing to a majority minority. Man, if our brothers and sisters who are white do not figure this out, like they're just going to they're going to die on the vine. And that's some really mm-hmm. good Christians and theology that gets kind of pushed to the side. Um, and so I look at it as I, I'm there to try to prepare this church. That's been the majority church, try to prepare them for the transition of moving to where they may actually have to be led by people of color from other mm-hmm. countries for the church to survive. And I wish they were as excited about that as I am, <laughs> but they're not always. But I still think that that's part of what we have to do to help in there in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Marcus, for coming on the program and sharing those insights. Um, before we wrap up, do you, can you do you want to uh, share kind of what's going on with you and what you want to plug in terms of um, your nonprofit or uh, sure. your website, those sorts of things? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we we like I said, I, I do get to be the executive director of a nonprofit called Threaded, a racial unity and justice organization. And so uh, we've got lots of different things we're gonna we do and engage in. Uh, you can check us out at wearethreaded.org. Wearethreaded.org. Get a, be a part of the newsletter, and that'll put you kind of in our funnel. You know what I mean to kind of get you connected to the things that we do. But uh, we also have a podcast. It's not as wonderful as is y'all's <laughs> podcast, but uh, uh, called Colored Commentary. And you can find that just like you find these guys, you know, on Spotify, iTunes, uh, coloredcommentary.com is there. And even at wearethreaded.org, you can find the the, uh, the podcast there as well. So uh, I, I love that you can kind of cross 
podcasts, you know what I mean, with some mm-hmm. of your your brothers, you know what I mean, and kind of share the space. And so uh, yeah. we may have to get you guys on our space as well, just to kind of have good conversation. I think it uh, it's been fun. So yeah, th- those are the things I'd get people uh, connected to and walking towards, so they can keep contact with us for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, dude. Thanks so much for for coming on. Um, yeah. They were- I didn't, I didn't, I knew we were going to have a lot of good practical stuff. I didn't think we'd get so rich theologically. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was so fun. I don't know yeah. if I'm offended by that or what. <laughs> I, mean, like, I didn't expect Marcus to have any kind of theological things to bring into the conversation. Boy, ever, as much, yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what, what our, our boy Tony Evans thinks about Zephaniah. I'm on That's the it. seat. Yes, that's it. That's it. Look, as soon as I hang up, I'm in Zephaniah <laughs> without question. It is happening. We're all up in there. Got- <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, um, Marcus, thanks for joining the program. Listeners, thanks yeah, again man, for listening to the Moral Minority Show, um, especially this season as we discuss Black Lives Matter, the Black experience in America. Um, as Josh said, we'll have maybe one or two more episodes in this series, and then we'll move on to a new season. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. Keep listening. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks.